You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Thank you, Ina. Hey, good morning. My name is Jamin. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors at Citizens, and we are thrilled that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, If you're watching online, uh, maybe you're doing that for the first time, or you've been doing that for a long time, welcome. Uh, We are uh, several months in now to a series on wisdom, where we're learning how to live in God's world, God's way. And we spent several months kind of building a foundation for what that looks like, according to the books of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and other places in the Bible. And and really the last several weeks, we've been applying wisdom uh, or seeing where the Bible will apply wisdom to specific topics and specific parts of what it means to be a human trying to live in God's world, God's way. So we've looked at wisdom and family of origin and wisdom and marriage. And uh, this week, we're going to start what will be a couple weeks on wisdom and parenting. And I knew long ago that when we got to these weeks, there is a, a voice that I just wanted our church to hear from uh, that I really, really trust and really have learned from. And that's Adam Griffin. Adam Griffin is the lead pastor at Eastside Church in Dallas. When we, as the Village Church Plano, were uh, leaving the village to become citizens, uh, Adam was planting out of the Village Church Dallas and planted Eastside just a little bit before uh, we became citizens. And God's uh, favor has been on that church. God's blessing has been on that church. And it's in no small part due to the fact that they have a godly gifted leader in Adam Griffin. He is one of my favorite pastors. Uh, He's one of those unique people who has incredible gifts, and yet he has character that exceeds his incredible gifts, which I really admire and respect. He wrote a book called Family Discipleship. He and his wonderful wife, Chelsea, host a podcast on family discipleship. So he has a lot to say about parenting. Uh, I have learned a lot from him uh, and from her in the podcast, just in in what it looks like to try to be faithful uh, as parents. And so uh, Adam's going to come and preach. I I do need to say this. About three weeks ago, I had the honor of preaching at Eastside. And right before I came up to preach, this has never happened before. uh, Adam said, hey, guys, before Jamin comes up, And I introduced him, instead of just kind of like quietly golf clapping him up, would you just like cheer and would you just cheer louder for any person you've ever cheered before? And that happened and I felt better about myself than I had in a long time. And so (laughs) if we could return the favor, would you welcome up Adam Griffin to come and preach this morning? Hey, good morning. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you guys today. What an honor to get to be with Citizens Church again. I love your church. Mainly, I love all of you strangers too, but I love your pastors and your staff so much. You guys, you have no idea how blessed you are to have Jamin Roller and Adam Hawkins leading this church. Amen. Come on, let's go. I love so many of, of your people. Michael Bleeker, the Mays family. Like, I, I love all, we don't need to cheer all of them. Just save it, save it for in glory after 10,000 years. Then we'll get to them and we'll be cheering for them. But, uh, I'm so honored to be with you today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Ina uh, read these two verses to you earlier. I'll be honest, uh, earlier this week, Jamin asked me for the text I was going to preach on. I sent him Proverbs 22 verse 13. Uh, he uh, replied via email and he said, Adam, did you mean Proverbs 22, verse 6? Surely it was a typo. 
And I said, nope, I meant Proverbs 22, 13. And he said, okay. So he's trusting me today. Thank you, Jamin. But Proverbs 22, 6 would be a great verse. It's train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's where you should go for parental wisdom, right? Let's talk about training children in the way they should go. Let's get fired up. Let's do it. And I'll tell you, like, I, I can get there. I, I want to do that. But I wanted to go 22, 13 today, which is, uh, this will sound odd, especially maybe if you were expecting like a really classic parenting verse. It says this, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. But to me, this is like one of the greatest parenting verses in the Bible. This is awesome. There's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. It, the reason I chose this verse is because this is my personal struggle. This is my confession to you. I know a lot of the wisdom that God has for us as parents. I know I'm supposed to walk in integrity. I know I'm supposed to be a leader. I'm supposed to lead by example. I know uh, Deuteronomy 6, I know that whether they're laying down or getting up or walking along the street, my role is to teach them that there is one God. That's what I'm supposed to do. And we can focus a lot of sermons there and spend time there, but the reason I wanted to pick Proverbs 22, verse 13 for you is because this is where I struggle the most. I don't struggle knowing what I'm supposed to do. I struggle uh, excusing myself from doing it. Proverbs 22, verse 13 the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets, is a verse about making excuses for the things that we're supposed to do. This is, if you're going to translate it in today's language, you might say something like, the person who doesn't want to do something finds a reason not to do it. You hear me? The person who doesn't want to do something finds a reason not to do it. The verse reads ridiculous. The sluggard's going to say, there's a lion in the street and I'll surely be eaten. The context, the literal context, is that somebody has work they're supposed to be doing, and they refuse to go because of a ridiculous excuse. That's the picture. It's supposed to read ridiculous. Like if, if you're an employer in Plano, and somebody called in sick to work and said, hey, I checked the next door app, and there was a bobcat spotted in the neighborhood, <laughs> and so obviously, I will not be at work today. Obviously. <laughs> That's this. That's what this proverb is saying. It's supposed to read ridiculous. The slug, the one who doesn't want to go to work is going to make up even the most ridiculous excuse not to do it. And this, people, is my conviction in parenting. I know that we could give you more wisdom you haven't received yet. There's no limit to it. Although I'm assuming a lot of you, a lot of you are part of this church. And so you've received a lot of wisdom, even in this series. But what would be the greatest crime to your family that you are called to lead would not be that you need more information necessarily, it'd be that you wouldn't be faithful to the information you already know. Because when you get home to your family or when you wake up in the morning, you find a reason why you don't have to be the man God called you to be. You have an excuse why you're not having to be the woman God called you to be right now. Mom and dad, who are authority figures in their home, will often do what most people in ultimate authority will do excuse their own actions because they know their own reasons and they are above reproach. You cannot come at me because I'm mom and dad. Whatever I say goes. And I struggle with this. I'll tell you, I have a lot of confessions around this. First, you need to know, Jamin's so kind to say so many kind things about my wife and I and everything he said kind about my wife is true. She is brilliant. She's wonderful. And I, I do learn a lot from her. I'll tell you, I, well, I, I get to speak on parenting my fear my insecurity in that is so profound for a couple reasons. One, my kids are young, 10, 9, and 7, and they're wonderful boys. I love them. But I so fear the day 
when they come to me and say, Dad, haven't I heard you teach sermons on this? The day where they say, hey, Dad, I thought you wrote books about this idea. Dad, aren't you supposed to be like super dad? Or for any of us in pastoral ministry where they would say like, Dad, you're leading a church of people, tell them how to do things, and in our own home, you're not the man that I see when you're up on stage. I fear that. I don't think that. That's not a reality I'm cultivating. I'm not aiming at that. I'm not creating that. But that's the fear that one day my kids would resent that I stand in front of you today and try to offer you parental wisdom. So instead of trying to stand up here and say, hey, this is how it's done, let me tell you how I am failing. I am a man who's in desperate need of forgiveness. I'm a man who's in desperate need of a Savior like any one of your parents, if we're being honest, is. Every one of you is in a desperate need for Jesus, and I am no exception. If you were to see and witness the parenting of my house, you'd see a lot of efforts. You'd also see a lot of excuses, and some of them would be ridiculous. I know better, and still I can lose my temper or lose my patience. Still, I can be greedy. I can become a tyrant in my own home. I will make my kids do things that I could clearly do for myself. Like, have you ever sat on the couch and asked your kid to go get your phone for you? I know how to get my own phone, but I'll do it all the time. I will excuse inactivity. I will excuse passivity. I will excuse greed. I will excuse impatience. Why? Because I'm the dad in the house. And I'll tell you, that's an ugly, broken part of me that is in desperate need of sanctification. Proverbs 22, verse 13. The slugger, the one who doesn't want to do something, is going to find a reason. There's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Here's my confession. Sometimes I do not lead my family as God has called me to, as he has empowered me for, not because I'm incapable, not because I'm uninformed, I'm fully aware. Sometimes the reason I don't lead my family is because I don't feel like it. And I bet if some of you guys are being honest, you can relate. Sometimes, and this is not just true for parents, sometimes you are not obedient to the Lord simply because you don't feel like it. You have your reasons, your justifications, your lions in the street, and you have excuses. And while a lot of what I'm going to say today is directed particularly at parents, this applies to every one of you. It applies to you as a son or daughter in your family of origin. It applies to you as a coworker. It applies to you as a roommate. It applies to you as a spouse. You have reasons that you lean on to justify sin. Now, I have young boys, three young boys, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore. And no offense to you, but my kids are the best. I love my kids. That's not in competition to you. I just happen to love them more than any other children. I love them. In my household, though, because I have young boys, I have endured the sensation that maybe some of you have of barefooted stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night. It's horrific. Seriously, I don't know what it is. Like when I look at a Lego, it doesn't look like it's made out of razor blades. When you step on it, you're like, oh, that's made out of razor blades. It's a kid's toy made out of razor blades. But you step on it, and the first thought, because I am a sinner, the first instinct I have when I step on a Lego, like most of you have anytime somebody has done something to offend you or hurt you, is blame. And it usually comes out as kind of a, how dare you? The first instinct I have towards my three lovely children, how dare you? I don't say those literal words. That would be hilarious kind of if I did. Like, how dare you leave a Lego? But that is the the instinct. That is the feeling. How dare you? Your father harmed himself because of you. How dare you? That hurt me. I'm wounded because of you. 
That's the spirit of the feeling I have. Now, a fully sanctified Adam Griffin, one who's walking in the spirit, not in the flesh, I would never respond like that. If I were truly, if my heart is redeemed in the Lord, you step on a Lego, what is a godly response? A godly response to stepping on a Lego should be something more like, of course, of course there's a Lego on the floor. My lovely children. (laughs) They love to play. They don't love to clean up. Of course there's a Lego. Hey, dear child, come here. Look, your father stepped on this Lego. <laughs> I lo- Seriously, I love that you play with Legos. Now, brother, I did, I hurt myself with this Lego. Let's, let's pick them up. Let's pick them up. But listen, of course you left it out. Not how dare you. Of course. But my instinct, my flesh is always how dare you. Since the Garden of Eden, that's human's First instinct, to blame. Well, this happened, yeah, because of her. And this happened, well, because of the snake. You step on a Lego. It's not my fault. I didn't train up these kids to leave Legos. I trained them up in the way they should go. They're just not walking in it. They left the Lego there. I step on it. How dare they? And so I justify, I excuse any outrage, any response that's less than godly. Why? Because they have harmed their father. Now, How do I know that a sanctified response would not be an excused outburst of wrath? Because I have an example in our Heavenly Father of exactly how a good father responds to being wounded. I sin against God in ways that grieve the Holy Spirit. I sin against God in ways that offend a holy Savior. And he has never, not once, responded to me with a wrath that says, how dare you? Our God in his gentleness and mercy sees even your worst parental flaws or your worst secret sin. And he says to you, the most merciful voice, of course you did. Of course you lost your temper. Of course you're being impatient. Of course you've made a mess of things. Of course, son, daughter, of course that happened. Oh, dear child, I see the mess, and it does, it hurts me, it does. But listen, of course you did. Why else do you think I came? Why else do you think I sent my son, Jesus, because this world is broken and full of pain, so that you might be free, not only of doing this again. Yeah, we're going to pick this up. Let's clean up this mess. Let's not delight in the mess. Let's clean it up. But our Father could say to us in his mercy, listen, don't you feel bad about this? Shame and guilt is not the path for you, but freedom freedom on the other side of your mistakes. You might have confidence in my love. Listen, what is parenting except for being faced again and again and again with your own sin? The difference between you and your children is not so much your age, it's how much more time you've had to sin against a holy father. So shouldn't we be full of so much more mercy? So much more ready to forgive them and to, people listen, to forgive ourselves? When we have, in our imperfect households, sinned against our kids, but typically, I'll be honest, in my house, when I make a mistake, I have my reason why I did it. And I can defend myself or I can explain it away. The sanctified version that says, of course you left the Lego, that's not what you see in my house. Gosh, I wish it was. I wish you could come to our house and that... If my kids did something even unintentionally that harmed me, you would see such a holy response. But that's why I need Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. 
The one who doesn't want to do something finds a reason not to do it. Or if we took the opposite in this case, the one who wants to do something finds a reason to do it. We justify our actions. So I want to talk through, yeah, I want to talk through some wise parenting, but the excuses we make around it, and I'll, I'll get to that. But first, let me remind you a couple things about our God. If you were to cry out to God today as a parent, and you were to give even understandable excuses, something like all of us could cry out and say, God, parenting is too hard for me. It is too hard. I cannot bear this weight by myself. Our God would not go, it's not too hard for you. That would be a lie. But neither would he say, then stop trying. I know it's too hard for you. No, our Father looks at parents who cry out in their excuse and say, I'm not leading my home well because it's too hard. And he says, of course it's hard. Of course it is. Not how dare you. Of course it is. How else will I grow you? How else will I mature you? How else but through challenge? How else? How else did you expect this to go? This world is broken. Of course it will be hard. And you will never be alone in it. And when we look to God and we say, maybe a legitimate excuse, we'll say like, oh God, I don't know what to do to lead my home. My parents didn't show me how to lead spiritually. My neighbors aren't doing it. I have not heard. I don't feel qualified to speak the gospel. We'll say, God, I don't know what to do. That's my excuse. God, that's why I'm not leading. Well, I don't know what to do. And God, with just a face full of mercy, can look his church in the eyes and say, that's why I told you. That's why I didn't leave you without answers. That's why I gave you wisdom. That's why I gave you each other. That's why you have a church that can rally around you and join you in leading this generation. And we could cry out to God and say, God, but what if I fail? Look what I have to lose, God. Look at the stakes. Gosh, when you're a parent, don't the stakes feel enormous? It feels huge. You're talking about children and their eternal souls. You're talking about a long-lasting, lifelong relationship. For some of us, you're looking into the eyes of an infant who will one day take care of you when you need your diapers changed. How crazy is that? The stakes are huge. And if we look at God and go, I, don't, I can't leave this house because it, like it, it feels like I will probably fail, that our God can look at you with eyes full of mercy and say, of course you will. Of course you will fail. Why else would you need me? If you could do this without me, what purpose is there to the truth I've told you? The, the, the gospel turns out to be a lie if you could do this without me. You all are in desperate need of the help of God. And no excuse. God has not asked you for a single justification and explanation why you're not leading your home. I don't think that's what he's waiting for. He's not going, hey, this guy's leading his home well, this guy's not, and the guy who's not is going, well, I, I just felt like it, the stakes were too high. And he goes, oh, totally, understand. Yep, don't worry about leading your home. That's not our God. No, I love you too much to say that failure is a good excuse. All of us are going to fail. Our God loves us too much to say, well, difficulty is a good excuse. No, no, no. He's called us into challenging work that includes parenting. And then you may look at your own family and you may say, well, Somebody else would be better at this than I would. Maybe even within your own home, you see a, a wife saying, I'll leave it up to my husband and kind of, I'll snooze during spiritual leadership. 
Or maybe you see a husband saying, my wife's really better at this than me anyway. I'll just kind of leave it up to her. And you'll say, maybe together you'll go, there's other families that are much better at it than I am. So I, I don't even know why we try. Or you look at your kids and you go, our kids are wild. They will never sit down and listen to me reading the Bible. I wouldn't even know where to start. You have all your reasons why somebody else should be doing it instead of you. And I can tell you with full confidence that God did not make a mistake when he gave you the children he gave you. God's not looking at your family and go, oops, I meant to put that kid with a more responsible parent. I meant to put that kid with a happier mom. God's not looking at you and going, oh, I gave you the wrong kids. Ah, it's not a mistake that you are the family that you are, whether through adoption or whether through natural birth, the Lord has had a plan for your family to be who you are with the gifts and the flaws that you all have together combined to try to pursue a perfect God as an imperfect house. Amen? This is God's plan. We can take a lot of confidence in it. And so much relief to know that while I will fall short, he will never fail me. A couple of wise parenting things that I feel like I tend to make excuses around that I think are worth mentioning. While there is a lot of wisdom in the Bible, I want to call out just a couple of them. The first one is this. We tend to make excuses for spiritual leadership in our home based on the culture we find ourselves in. It usually goes like this. The reason I'm not leading my home well is because no one is leading their home well. We'll look around the culture and go, no, I don't want to make my kids seem weird. And you may not say that out loud, but you're thinking, gosh, when it comes to dating or when it comes to sports or when it comes to science or when it comes to social interaction, when it comes to technology or computers, man, the Christ would call us to something different than the world. And you're going, well, I don't want to stick out. I don't want to be weird. No one's doing that. We'll look like freaks. We'll look so strange to the world. When I read the Bible, I read about a Savior who says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hated me. I read about a Savior who looks at the world and says, the world is dark and it's in need of light and you are the light of the world. I think about Noah. Noah who must have been like the craziest dad in history. Think about Noah. That dude was the last dad on earth parenting the way he did. You don't think like Ham came to him every once in a while? Well, one, like why'd you name me Ham? But also... You don't think that like Ham came every once in a while and said, hey, dad, maybe I could go hang with my friends today instead of working on the boat. I'm sure he whined all the time. And I was like, we got to build the boat. Let's go. But there was so much in their family that was strange, bizarre, and weird. And guess what? It was righteous. The rest of the world had disobeyed, had rebelled against God, and only Noah was left. It describes him as this. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. It's a way of saying all the people that were alive, he was the one left who was walking in righteousness. I want you in this generation as parents ready to make decisions that are difficult maybe for your kids and for the culture if it means following Jesus. In Luke 19, Jesus walks into Jericho and everybody says, do not hang out with Zacchaeus. Everybody, this is a bad idea. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't follow the crowd and go, oh, okay, thanks for the heads up. I didn't know Zacchaeus was a bum. I didn't know it. He goes, Zacchaeus, get down. I'm going to Zacchaeus' house. I'm going to go hang out with him. And that day he says, salvation came to that house. 
There is nobody beyond salvation, nobody beyond God's love, and Jesus displayed that, and he displayed it in a way that teaches us just because everybody else is going in one direction does not mean that your family needs to go with them. The privilege that you have here, church, is that you don't have to do it like Noah did. You can look around this room and go, there are other parents and other families who can make some of the same culturally weird decisions I'm going to make, and we can do it together. That we can be different than the culture in a righteously abnormal way that may make you feel peculiar, but hopefully only in the same ways that your Savior did when he was surrounded by the Pharisees. The world has called you to one thing, Christ to another. And if your excuse for not leading your home is that you have chosen the world, God have mercy. Another excuse I think is very common to us is the kind of what about me idea. When you get home as a parent, you don't want to lead your home because you want to be served. When Christ talks about leadership to his disciples, he says there's a way that the world thinks about leadership. He says it's the way Gentiles lead. And he describes it as a way to lord it over people. He says Gentiles think leadership is lording it over people. He says not so with you. Those who trust Christ, not so with you. What will leadership look like? He says, it will look like serving one another. Leading your home starts with thinking about what does my home need and how can I provide it? And it's not an excuse to say, that's why I'm at work 90 hours a week because they need financial support. They don't need me. No, I mean an honest prioritization of what your home truly needs and how do you provide it? In John chapter 13, when the rubber meets the road on servant leadership, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and washes the feet of his disciples. I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus, in John chapter 13, you know what's happening? It's the, it's the Last Supper. It's the night that he's about to be betrayed by one of these men whose feet he is washing. It's the night where he will be beaten and arrested and abandoned. It's the night before he will be crucified and die, and Jesus is fully aware of all these things. And yet he gets down on his hands and knees, dresses himself as a servant, and washes his disciples' feet. And in that, you have the best example of parenting there is in the Bible. Because listen, Jesus above all people could have walked into that meal and said, listen guys, I am having a really bad day. He could have said, hey, guys, this is going to be a heavy weekend for me. Would you mind if I'm not the one who washes the feet? He could have said, hey, we're about to have a meal. Would you mind if I don't have to prepare it or I don't have to serve it? I'm about to have the hardest day ever. Could you guys just rally around me for once after three years of traveling together? Maybe just one night I could be served. But that is not your God. The example he sets for you is even at his darkest, even at his hardest, even at his worst, he got down on his knees and said, how do I serve the people around me? And in that set the example for leadership. In fact, you know that in the Gospels when it describes Christ coming back again, there are many ways it describes him, but my favorite, it describes him, yes, as, you know, riding triumphantly, sitting on a throne, right hand of God, but one of my favorites, one of the Gospel writers says that when Jesus comes back at the banquet feast, it will be the celebration of the culmination of his making all things new, of, of conquering sin and death for all time. It says, and Jesus Christ will dress himself to serve. At the banquet in eternity, the one serving the meal is the king. 
at the banquet of eternity, with the, the final time where you could finally say, like, now will you guys all worship and bow down? And now, now you can see what the plan was all along. Now you can see the scars on my hands. Now you can see and just, I'll, I can sit back and do nothing and just receive. Even then, your God is a God who has compassion and love and loves to serve. That is the call on the parent who gets home after a long day at work and isn't punching out and isn't turning his house into a place where I can just sit in a recliner and numb myself with sports or Netflix for a while, but rather the, the man or the woman who gets home from work and says, now I'm punching in. Now I'm getting to my true job. Now I'm getting to what the Lord has called me to be about. I have come home to work, to lead my family. And there is no excuse to say, well, I was having a hard day and therefore I didn't lead my family well. Listen, that's a true reason. We can talk through whether or not you need to rest and take breaks, and let's find that for you. But it will never be an excuse that the Lord is going, hey, just tell, if you had a hard day, don't worry about following me. Does that sound like our God? Hey, yeah, I've blessed these kids into your family. I've entrusted them to you. But you know what? If you're a little tired, don't worry about it. No, our God would mercifully say, of course you're tired. Gosh, this life is hard. This world is broken. You're exhausted from a long day of work. Of course you are. Now let's, let's still, let's clean up your house. There's, there's stuff to do. There's, there's Legos out. Let's clean up. Let's, let's read the Bible with your kids. Let's pray together. But where will you find the rest you need? Is it in the TV? Now, did you find it in the meal? Or will you find it in the Word of God that I've asked you to share with your children? That you're excusing yourself from reading to them because you've had a hard day. Where do you think you'll find the rest you're looking for? Leading your family is not about coming home perfect. Leading your family is not about reading the Bible and being able to be a scholar in front of your children so they admire you. Leading your family is joining your kids in your mutual need for Jesus. Coming home at the end of a long day and saying, hey kids, dad had a long day. We both need God. Hey, mom had a long day. We both need Jesus. Let's sit down, let's read his word together, let's pray together. That's where our true rest will be found. One of the other excuses we tend to make, we start to think about how um, it's too much for us. And I've already covered this. I know it is. But there's a true weight that when it feels like it's all on you. And when it's all on you and it feels like too much to bear, it's easy to excuse doing less. And saying, since I know I cannot do it, then I will not try. One of my favorite verses of a family interaction comes from Exodus chapter 18, when Moses has led these millions of people, the people of Israel, out into the wilderness, and his father-in-law comes along and sees him listening to everybody's problems. And Moses is listening to everybody's problems, much like much of parenting is, just listening to problems with nobody presenting solutions. Amen? He's listening to problems, and Jethro describes it in Exodus chapter 18, verse 17, he said, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. He said, you and the people with you certainly will wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Listen, moms and dads, you are not the only way for your kids to hear about the gospel. You could not bear that weight. You just cannot. Now, you have the blessing of a church. You have the blessing of a community. The, the reason the Lord has given one spouse to another, if you both trust the same Christ and you are equally yoked, which means you're doing the same work together, is that you would never have to feel like, I have to bear this alone. 
And the reason he's given you the blessing of a church is that you might look around and say, hey, we don't have to do this alone. And on the days where you feel too exhausted, where you feel like instead of leading, you need to receive, that you would be able to call a friend or a pastor or a minister and say, I don't want to think for one second that it's all on me to bear this because I know it would crush me. The anxiety, the worry that comes from the high stakes of parenting, listen, it is not yours to bear. The wisdom would say, delegate what the Lord has given you to do. Collaborate with what the Lord has given you to do. Look around and say, who's supposed to share this with you? If you have older kids, maybe you invite them into reading the word with you, for you. Hey, will you pray for mom? My kids are 10, 9, and 7. And uh, after this summer uh, off, my wife went back to work. And you know what we did? We gathered around her and I said, kids, I can pray for your mom. I love praying for your mom. But will you pray for your mom? And that was not like a burden lifted off me. It was I love to pray for my wife, but it was inviting my kids into the responsibility that our family has collectively to lead each other towards Christ. Lastly, and perhaps most profoundly, the excuse that we love to hide behind in parenting is that we have messed up bad and we will mess up again. And this is true. Every, guys, every parent fails. Some of you as sons and daughters are finding out for the first time now as parents how desperately your parents had tried with you and how hard you made it on them. And you're realizing as you fail, how you, like your parents, are walking that same path where you all need repentance, you all need to own and take responsibility for your actions, but it has been as hard for them as it is now for you. The truth is we all mess up and all parents fail. But godly parents, godly parents don't wallow. Godly parents don't mope. Godly parents, when we fail, we don't give up and say, that was my best. I'm walking away. We walk away saying, that was my best. Praise God for forgiveness. Praise God for freedom. Praise God for redemption. I don't know how many times, maybe you don't walk in the same level of insecurity I have, but there's been times when my kids were younger that I was terrified that a moment of my sin would be their first memory or would form their opinion of me as their father. I was terrified of that. And now as my kids get older and they have these uh, formational memories, I fear like, what, what therapy bills am I preparing them for one day? That they'll sit in an office one day and talk about this moment and they'll be like, I remember my dad. And he would stand in front of churches and challenge them on leading their homes. And then he would come home and make me go get his phone for him, even though he was perfectly capable, but he had a long day, so he wasn't going to engage with me. The hypocrisy that my kids might see in me. Listen, we all have hypocrisy. Parental hypocrisy runs abound, and you don't even see it because in your own house, moms and dads, you think of yourself as like an almighty that can't be challenged. That's why it's so easy for us to yell at our kids to be quiet. You ever thought about that? You're yelling at your kid to be quiet? Or maybe you've never noticed this. Have you ever complained to your friends about how whiny your kids are? You think about how ironic that is. That you're like, oh, my kids are always complaining. You're whining. That's parental hypocrisy. Or that you might justify not engaging with your kids in a way that you would never excuse in them if you would ask them to do something. Hey, didn't mom ask you to do that? 
Didn't dad ask you to do that? And they say, oh yeah, but I had a lot of homework. Okay, we'll get your homework done, but you still need to do that. But if it's us, well, yeah, but I had a long day. But I got a lot of work left to do. That's hypocrisy. That's playing the role of God. And listen, guys, if we play the role of God, we will not do well at it. There's only one person that can be entrusted with the, the honorific heavenly father, holy father, perfect father. And it's not me. I pray all the time that my kids would have mercy on me because, I, gosh, I will fail them and disappoint them again and again. Now, as it pertains to our failures, I'll tell you, if, if the failure you see in your life or in your home is related to some secret sin that is going unconfessed, I would challenge you, today is the day to lay it bare. If the failure in your house is due to some um, losing your patience, maybe when your spouse isn't around with your kids, Maybe it's related to pornography in your household that you're like, I'm just not going to tell anybody about it. Or maybe it's what you're doing at work. Maybe it's what you're doing when no one's looking. Or just maybe it's a fantasy life, a, a thought life that you've struggled with. And it's one of the reasons you're not leading your home is you feel like, oh, I'm, just, I'm failing there so I can't really lead my home. Or maybe you're choosing something over your kids. Listen to me. And I'll give you a proverb. This is wisdom. Listen to this. This is so good for anybody. Proverbs 28, 13 that whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. In other words, if you keep thinking that hiding your sin is going to be good for you, you are wrong. If you think that what your kids need from you is that you would hide your mistakes, that what your spouse needs from you is that you would keep them from finding out, that you think that you have a secret from God, listen, there is nothing good to be found in that. It says instead, he who confesses and forsakes. That means he who admits and quits. He who says, this is what I did and I don't want to do it anymore. He who confesses and forsakes will find what? Mercy. That you present yourself to a holy God and you say, look at all the ways I've messed up my family. And he does not say, how dare you? I entrusted these kids to you. What were you thinking? He says, of course you did. Oh, my dear son or daughter. Of course you did. Gosh, let's clean up this mess together. Yes, but of course you failed. That's why you need me. Well, there's so much grace on your parenting failure, so much grace in your sin. But let's confess it. Let's forsake it. Let's not keep it up. Let's, let's clean up the mess. But listen, nothing but mercy for you. But let that mercy drive you to obedience, not to a cheap grace that says, oh, that's fine if I keep on sinning. It's not a big deal. No, to mercy. And then to obedience. Or maybe, like many parents, your failure in your own home is soaked in shame. And maybe you've made mistakes either in your own personal story or with your kids already that you just feel so guilty about. And you feel like there's no way to take them back. Maybe like so many parents with older kids, you've seen your kids go prodigal and you have blamed yourself. And you have borne the guilt and shame for that. I want to remind you, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the image from one degree of glory to another. All of us are in the same boat. We all are being transformed. In other words, we are all being sanctified. We are all, one day it'll culminate, but right now we are broken and we're imperfect, but we're all being transformed. In the meantime, what do we receive from God? He doesn't say, in the meantime, while you're transforming, that's why you receive guilt. That's why I'm giving you shame. No, he says, that's why I gave you freedom. 
parents with your prodigal sons and daughters, if it were up to your parenting to save your children, if it was really up to your parenting to save your children, if it was truly your fault, listen to me, if perfect parenting is what it took to save children, how many children would be saved? If it was up to the quality of your parenting to save your kids, how many kids would be saved? How many baptism testimonies? We never hear a baptism testimony that rightly says, hey, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one thing, but it was my father and my mother who saved me. It's in them I depend. That's where I hang my hat. That's where I trust. That's that's who's going to conquer death for me. No. Gosh, guys, God alone can receive credit for salvation. Therefore, quit blaming your own parental mistakes and instead carrying guilt and shame. Listen, this is why Jesus... When he said to you, hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he didn't mean the work was going to be easy in the sense of parenting. He meant like, I'm, I'm taking all the shame. I'm taking all the guilt. You walk in freedom. Therefore, my burden is easy. The yoke is light. We do this together, and Christ alone takes our shame so that you might walk in freedom. Now, many of us also are struggling with a version of preemptive parenting regret that's probably not worth getting into, but... I certainly struggle with where you look at your own kids and the excuse you have for inaction is that you're afraid you're going to screw them up. Let me just tell you right now, you're going to. No lack of your leadership is going to solve something for your kids. You hear me? No passivity from you is going to go, at least I spared you from what would have been worse, me being active in your life. Now, what we need to do as parents is own and take responsibility for everything we can. Wherever we see something ungodly in us, let us lay it bare before the Lord and forsake it. Quit it. Be done with it. And then let us testify to our kids, anything good you see in me as a mom or dad is because Christ is at work in mom and dad. No credit to me, all credit to my Savior. Anything good you see in me is his. Now let's turn to the word of the Lord together. Why? Because we both need this word. And they go, I don't understand what that means. And you got to say, I don't understand what it means either. That's okay. And you pray and you say, I don't know what to say. You say, I don't know what to say either. Let's pray together. Let's ask God for words to say. This does not have to be something reserved for scholars or punted to the church. This is something that imperfect people do together to lead their family spiritually, to follow a perfect God. And where we fall short, we all cry for the need for mercy from God. Thank God that he's provided his son, Jesus Christ whose death on the cross and resurrection reminds us that he has conquered all of our sin and all of our death. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have been merciful. You have been gracious. You've been good to us in a thousand ways, and I pray, God, that you would continue to do so. God, let us never uh, forsake what you've called us to in wisdom for the sake of our own laziness, for desire to be made much of, For whatever excuse we've made, God, to say we can do less and it would be okay, God, forgive us. And then, Lord, let us experience that sweet freedom that comes from knowing that there is no sin, or sorry, no shame and no guilt in what Christ has done for us on the cross, but he has borne that for us. So, God, let us walk as forgiven, free people, trusting in you through your son, Jesus Christ. pray this in his name. Amen.